I think next week we're going to push the service back to 11 o'clock. Uh, we're going to do anything we can to try to get a little bit more heat for ourselves out here. And so uh, next week, 11 o'clock. And on that note, I wanted to say that um, right now a lot of things are subject to change week to week. We're really trying to figure out what is the best way to do all of this as far as the, uh, the tents go, service time, the direction of, a, of our setup here in the courtyard. So please just be flexible with us and understanding. And I know you are. You guys have been this whole year. I mean, it's like here we go again for like the 10th time. And uh, it's all good. My main thing is we're going to meet no matter what, uh, whether it's outdoors, indoors. Yeah, I've just, you know, I think we know that teaching to a camera with no one in the room is not church. And so we got to gather. And so that's going to happen no matter what they say. Um, and so just know that. But what it looks like out here is, is subject to change. So we're trying to get a tent um, that's going to be about 30 by 60 and it'll be anchored into the, the ground here. And so it'll go a little farther over into the grass and about from here to that back wall there. Uh, we're trying to stay off the grass because now that it's uh, winter time, it's gonna become like a mud pit. And if it's, it's gonna be covered permanently as long as we have that tent up for the, I don't know how long this is gonna go on for. And so we're just trying to keep you guys from being in a mud pit. And so that's why we're set up on the, the pavement here, which restricts our space a little bit. Um, and I apologize for that, but that's kind of what we're looking at. So, Lord willing, we'll have the new tent up in a couple of weeks. And so we're continuing to have our Wednesday service, our Thursday regen, the men's study, as I mentioned. Uh, all of that's going to be going on out here underneath the, the tent. And so any more details that I have for you, uh, you'll be the first to know. And we'll be putting stuff on Instagram, Facebook, email, um, getting this info to you as best we can. And so uh, just, just keep an ear open, all right? All right, well, if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 16. We're going to be finishing the book today, praise God. We're going to be going into Colossians next, by the way. And so I am super excited to get into that book with you folks. I mean, I think next to uh, Hebrews, that there's no other book that really rivals the, uh, the, the supremacy, the superiority, the preeminence of Christ. And so uh, that's what we need, right? We need more Jesus in our lives. We need our eyes to be fixed upon our Savior. And so I'm looking forward to this next season as we work through the book of Colossians together. If you're in Romans 16, we'll be picking up in verse 25, but just hold your place there. We're not going to get there just yet. Father God, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And we're delighted, God, to be able to gather. Whatever that looks like, even if we have to brave the cold a little bit or deal with extra setup or, you know, whatever comes along with it, God, we're just grateful to be together. We're grateful to gather together in Jesus' name. We're grateful to study Your Word together as a family of born-again believers. And I thank You for the time of corporate worship and song. And I thank You now for our time of Bible study. And I ask, O oh Father, by Your Spirit, that You would encourage our hearts in You, O oh Lord. That You would open our eyes to behold wonderful things from Your Word. And that as we close the book of Romans, God, that it would be just a special time for us all. Lord, we need to see You. We need to know You in a greater way. We want to be closer to You, God, always. 
And so we praise you, God. By faith, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So we're closing the book of Romans. The book of Romans. And so I want to just do a recap, if I may, of the book itself. And I'll make this very brief. I've gone over this with you many a time. And I have uh, several times referred to this book as a gospel masterpiece because it is no less than that. It is truly a treasure. It is a treasure that God has delivered to the saints, the book of Romans. And it can be outlined as follows. The first three chapters deal with the, the sinful condition of humanity. And we're all in the same boat. That's bad news. We are outside of Christ. We are separated from a holy God. We are at enmity with a holy God. And this goes for everybody. So whether you're a a pagan idolater, or whether you're a so-called moral, religious even, good person, we are all in the same boat. We're in big trouble. And so that's what makes the good news so good, so sweet, is that we can have acceptance, we can have forgiveness, we can be made, declared righteous in God's sight, and that comes by faith. And that starts in chapter 4. Chapter 4 deals with the fact that we are made righteous before God through belief, believing in Jesus Christ, believing in the person and the work of Christ. We are justified. Chapter 5 talks about our reconciliation. We're not just forgiven. It's not that God just said, okay, you're forgiven, now get out of my sight. I don't want anything else to do with you. God doesn't do that. He, he forgives us. And then He draws us in to a loving relationship with Himself. He is now our Heavenly Father. And that is our reconciliation to God. We now have the peace of God. And we'll be talking about that a little bit today. And then chapters 6 through 7 deals with sanctification. That is our growing in God. Growing in Christ's likeness. Justification is a one-time deal. It is fixed. You'll never be more justified. You'll never be less justified. You're declared righteous before God, and that doesn't change. But our outward godliness does. We always want to be growing in Christ and looking more and more like our Lord and Savior Jesus. And chapters 6 through 7 deal with that. And then as we get into the glorious chapter 8, the glorious chapter 8, the first part of that, we look at the union that we have with Christ. Christ is in us, the hope of glory. All those promises that are given to us are activated in that Christ dwells within us and we are one with Jesus. And then we get into uh, adoption. We are adopted into God's family. That's the, the middle part of chapter 8. We are adopted as beloved children of the Father. And then the last part of chapter 8, we see God's sovereignty. This is all a, a sovereign work of God. He's in control. God is absolutely in control, and we love that here. We love God's sovereignty, because I don't know about you, I don't want to be in control of nothing. And in fact, I know I'm not in control of anything. And so I praise God that God is in control. I need that. I, I praise God for that. I trust God in that. And then chapters 9 through 11, which is some very heavy stuff, we deal with God's election, God's choosing. And we worked through that in detail. I won't revisit that today. But then in the latter part of the book, chapters 12 through 16, it's the application. How then shall we live our lives? Very practical. And that's what we've been working our way through over the last couple of months. In light of chapters 1 through 11, 
All that God has done for us in Christ, how, the, how then should we live our lives? And that brings us to the very end of the book today. And that is why I refer to this as the gospel masterpiece. Because in no other book is the gospel more beautifully, systematically laid out for us than the book of Romans. And so as we come to our text today, what we're going to see is what is called a doxology. It's a doxology, and that is, that is a word of praise, a praise saying. That's the appropriate response to all of this. It should end with the praise of God, amen? amen. Praising and glorifying God. Doxology, maybe you've heard this word before, maybe you haven't. There is a song that, that the church will often sing at the close of, of church services, and uh, it goes like this. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Have you heard that before? Yeah. Well, that's a doxology. And so we know what a doxology is. And quite frankly, the Scriptures are full of these. The Scriptures are full of doxologies. In Luke chapter 2, verse 13 through 14, it says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. That was a doxology. It was praising God for the fact that Christ had been born. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20, it says, Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's a doxology. Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. It says, Now when He had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on earth. That's a doxology, and Revelation is full of those. Quite frankly, the Scriptures are full of those. The Psalms are full of those. The Psalms are basically a compilation of five books, and at the end of each book in Psalms, there is a doxology, as is fitting. Frankly, our lives should be a doxology. We want our lives to be praise to the King, to be glory to the King, and it's such a fitting way for this book to end. And so I titled this message a gospel doxology. If this book is a gospel masterpiece, then the closing of this book is a gospel doxology, gospel praise. And so I'm going to read our text now in its entirety. We only have three verses here, so if you would, read with me. Romans 16, verse 25. Now to Him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, for obedience to the faith, to God alone wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. So that is the text that is before us. We have four points here. 
and we'll look at them one by one. So each point is going to start with praise God. Praise God. So point number one, praise God that He establishes us through the gospel. Praise God that He establishes us through the gospel. Look at verse 25 there. We're going to really break these verses down into little snippets, so hopefully we don't get get lost here. So verse 25, Now to Him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. It says, now to Him, and as you get into this sentence, it doesn't say exactly what to Him. Now to Him what? In the very end of this text, it tells us, glory to Him, the only wise God. And so now to Him, that means praise to Him, praise to our God, praise to Him who is able. Notice that phrase there, who is able. I love that phrase. There's a song called God is Able, and this is a very uh, common phrase that we find in the New Testament. And this should be one of the most comforting phrases for the Christian folks. Praise God that He's able, you know, because so oftentimes I am just not. And, and neither are you. Can we admit that? We're not able, but God is able. With God, nothing is impossible. Amen? Amen? Praise God for that. So I just wanted to read a few of these to you, if I may. Hebrews 7.25, it says, Therefore, He is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is able to deliver to us this robust salvation, this amazing, glorious salvation. Look, folks, when we get to heaven, we're not going to be getting there with smoke on our clothes. All right, We're not going to be getting there just barely by the skin of our teeth because we had just one more good work than bad works. And that's the way a lot of people kind of look at it in this world. That's, that's kind of how they see themselves getting to heaven. But not so with Christ. He will deliver to us a glorious salvation. Hey, my sister, welcome. Come on in. There's a seat right there. All right, that's the kind of salvation that God delivers to us because He's able. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 says, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, because I know in whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that He is what? He is able to keep what I have committed to Him until that day. God is able to keep our very lives. As we commit our lives to Him, we have every confidence in God that He is able to keep what we have entrusted to Him because He's faithful. Hebrews chapter 2 says, For in that He Himself has suffered being tempted, He is able to aid those who are tempted. So our God is able to, to, able us, uh, to aid us excuse me, in our temptation. As we struggle through this life, He is with us. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8, it says, God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that always having all sufficiency in all things, you may have an abundance for every good work. God is able to supply us with all that we need. You want to serve the Lord? You want to bless God, bless His people? God is able to give you everything that you need to do that. God is able. Ephesians 3.20, we know this one well. Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, more than we could ask or think. Jude one twenty four. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. 
He's going to see us through to the end, folks. Our God is able. He is able to keep us from stumbling. And that literally is to fall away. That is to turn away from the faith. He is able to see us through to the very end and to present us faultless before God. God is able. God is able. And that is one of the most glorious things for the Christian. And we see that here in our text. Now to him who is able. Now what is it exactly that he's able to do here in this text, we're told? He is able to, it's there in your verse, establish us. Our God is able to establish us. That's something that you may not often use that word in this, in this sense. What does it mean to be established by God? Well, the word means literally to be planted down, to be rooted, as it were, to make stand, to strengthen, to support, to stabilize. Our God is able to strengthen and stabilize us. I don't know about you folks, but I need some of that in my life right now. I mean, there is nothing stable about the world in which we live. Am I right? Can I get an amen to that? I mean, nothing. You look at the news, you look at the po- politics, you look at the, the safety protocols, you look at the, the, I mean, just everything around us. I mean, even the, the weather that we've been experiencing. I remember when the first fire broke out over here a few months ago, and I saw the plume up in the air, and I thought, oh man, it's going to be smoked out here for a few days. Six weeks later, we're out here choking on smoke, and I'm like, man, this is just crazy. And so I'm thinking, well, maybe once the, the winter comes and you know, we won't have to worry about fire season anymore. And then as soon as that happens, the cases start shooting up. Now here we are back outside again. And it's just like, what will it be next? You know, and so I don't know about you, but I need stability in my life. We need stability in our life. And we can find that in Christ. God is able to make us stable. There's no instability in Him. Colossians chapter 2 says this in verse 6. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Do you hear that, that language there? As we have received Christ. You know, we talked about this word a couple times now. Remember, open heart, open arms. That's what it means to receive. As you have opened your heart to Christ, and Christ comes in, we're told to walk in Him, that is to live our lives in a way that is consistent with our Lord, and to be rooted, to let the roots go down deep so that we will be established, strengthened, stabilized in Him. And we have that in Christ. You know, we can't go inside ourselves to find stability, to find peace. We certainly can't find it out in this world that we live in. There's one source. There is one who is the anchor of our soul. There is one who is able to make us stable, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And so that's the answer. Now to Him who is able to make us stable. And now Paul tells us how He does that. You'll notice there in that verse, according to my gospel, Paul says. God stabilizes us according to my gospel. I love that he calls it that. My gospel. You know, it needs to be your gospel. It's not my mom's gospel, my grandparents' gospel. It's not my best friend's gospel. It's not my church's gospel. You understand? It's mine. It is personal. 
God doesn't have grandchildren. Did you know that? God has children. God has sons and daughters. It's a very personal thing. And so it needs to be your gospel, my gospel. If you have trusted Jesus Christ, if you have believed in Him, He is your Lord and Savior, and it is your gospel. So he says, it's according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. That is the message concerning the person and work of Christ. That's the ticket. Preaching the message of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And that comes this stability. That is the gospel. And so I I don't want to just assume that we know these things. I want to look at this together if we may. I'll read to you, what is the gospel exactly? If, it, if, it is, if this is the stabilizing force in our life, if this is what God uses to bring strength and stability in our lives, what is it exactly? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3, I've heard it said, I've heard a pastor say, if you're a good, if you're a good Bible student, when you just drop your Bible and just let it open, this is where it's going to land to. It's just going to, boom, naturally open up to... 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 says, For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the gospel, folks. It's what Christ has done for us. It's not what we do for Him. It has already been done. It is something that has already happened. Jesus lived a perfect life. That is what we call the active obedience of Jesus. He lived a life that none of us have or ever could live. Total perfection to His Father's law. But then He died a death that He did not deserve. That is His passive obedience. He incurred the punishment that was meant for those who have sinned against a holy God. And then He died there on the cross, a sinner's death that He didn't deserve in our place, Then He rose again from the grave three days later, declaring victory over death, and that God had indeed received His sacrifice because He truly was an innocent man. And He declared power over sin, over the grave, over death, over Satan, and that is given to us as a gift. So it's what Christ has done for us through His death, burial, and resurrection. That is the good news, folks. The gospel is good news. Paul says, and this is really the theme verse of Romans, back in chapter 1, verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. That means, brothers and sisters, you will never be disappointed. You will never be let down by the gospel for trusting, for believing in Jesus Christ. He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the very power of God. That is God's power to save guilty sinners. By God's love and by God's mercy, by God's grace, it is the gospel, folks. That is what God is doing in the world. He is saving folks through the gospel. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed. God's holy character is revealed. The fact that sin must be dealt with is revealed. 
God's grace and God's love and mercy are manifested in the gospel as God makes a way for us to know Him by faith through the finished work of the cross and to be accepted in Him. That is the gospel. That is the good news. That is the power of God. And it says the just shall live by faith. And that's the answer. That's where we come in. You have to believe it. You don't add anything to it. You simply believe it. You believe it. And you will be born again. And then Romans 5, 1 through 2 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of glory. So now having believed the gospel by faith and having trusted in Jesus as our Savior, we have peace with God. Peace. The peace of of God. You know, there's something so special about the peace of God. When you are right with your Maker, when, when things are as they ought to be, when we're outside of Christ, we don't have that peace. Something's not right. And all of the world is, is working to try to fill that. They're trying to figure out what that is. They're trying to solve that. And they do that with so many different things career, family relationships, academia, sports, drugs, on and on it goes. But to be at peace with our Creator through Jesus Christ, to have peace with God, the peace of God, that is the good news of the Gospel. And that's what we need in Him. And that is what stabilizes us. That is how we are established. That is how we are strengthened. It is through the saving work of Jesus Christ, the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, well, this brings us to our next point. And that is, praise God for the revelation of the gospel. Praise God that He revealed this to us. It says in verse 25 there, that according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest, and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations. So according to the revelation, this idea of revelation is the unveiling of it. There was something that was already there. It's not new, but it has now been unveiled. It has been revealed to us, and that is, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is referred to as a mystery. And what a, a mystery is in the Bible, when you hear this word mysterion, it's something that was once hidden but has now been made known. That is the gospel. Since the world began, it says. Some translations say from long ages past. And the point I'm, I'm making here, folks, is that the gospel is not plan B with God. The gospel was not a backup plan. This wasn't something that God just came up with somewhere along the way. The gospel is what God is doing in the world. The gospel was God's plan from ages past. And we see this in Ephesians chapter 1. Let me read this to you, verse 3. I'm, a lot of scripture today, a lot of cross-references, so just uh, you know, excuse me on that. But this is, this is good. It's helpful. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, 
that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. You've been in God's mind and God's heart for a long time. God didn't just create things one way and then everything went bad. He said, okay, what am I going to do now? How am I going to fix this? Before the world began, God knew you. God knew everything about you. And God had already purposed that He was going to know you in a saving way. And He was going to be your Father. And that He was going to usher you in, in into the kingdom of God through His Son, Jesus. And I just think it's important for us to know that with God, God is not reactive. We're reactive. You know, we have to respond to things. As things go sideways, as things mess up, as things fall through, we've got to figure out what to do now. But God, God is always the initiator. This was God's plan from eternity past. And I don't know about you, but I find comfort in that. I find stability in that. Not only are we made stable through the gospel, but we're stabilized in the fact that God is a rock, that God is our fortress, that God is a strong tower, that God is a solid foundation. And He's not just flying by the seat of His pants, as it were, coming up with plan A, B, C, D, and E. No, everything that God is doing has been God's plan all along. And praise God that He has revealed this mystery to us. And He reveals it to us on an individual level. God reveals it to us in a very personal and intimate way, one by one. And we're told here that this was actually something that had been revealed, made known through the prophetic Scriptures. So hang, hang in here with me, folks. We're going to get a little more deep into some doctrine here, Bible stuff, nerd stuff, whatever you want to call it. And so uh, track with me. Now, we're told here that this glorious gospel that has been God's plan all along has been revealed to us throughout the Old Testament Scriptures, throughout the prophetic Scriptures here. So I just wanted to look at a few of those because this is amazing. And this ought to embolden our faith in the Word of God when we, when we see this. So 1 Peter actually talks about this in chapter 1, verse 10. He says, This salvation was something that even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about the gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when He told them in advance about Christ's sufferings and His great glory afterward. Peter tells us that the prophets who prophesied, who spoke of the coming suffering and glory of Christ, didn't even know what they were talking about themselves. They wondered what this could mean. Maybe you're feeling like that right now as you're sitting out there thinking, what is this guy talking about? I don't know. I wish I knew. But we're told that this was the case. And so just a few verses from the Old Testament, Isaiah 53, 5, speaking of Jesus, 800 years before Christ was even born, it says, but He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes we are healed. Verse 11, by His knowledge, that is by the knowledge of Him, my righteous servant shall justify many, for He shall bear their iniquities. 
Isaiah 53, one of the most explicit scriptures on the suffering servant, the suffering that Christ would endure on our behalf as our substitute. By His stripes, we are healed. And by the knowledge of Him, many will be justified. Isaiah 53, if you've never read that, I would encourage you to read that. It's amazing. Psalm 22, verse 16. If you've never read Psalm 22, this is one of the most amazing messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. There are so many references to what happens at the cross here in Psalm 22, verse 16. It says, For dogs have surrounded me, the congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. Now where do we read about that at? In the gospel. This is, this is very clearly talking about the crucifixion scene of Jesus Christ, but this was some thousand years before crucifixion even existed. Ezekiel eleven nineteen. The prophet writes, Then I will give them one heart. I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh. This speaks of a time when, when God would put His Spirit within us. When God, His law would no longer be laws written on a stone tablet, but it would be law written on our hearts. That we would be born again of the Spirit and that it would be a personal relationship with our God and Father. Jeremiah 31, 31 says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. And this is the Old Testament. Speaking of a new day, a new covenant. When we would have a new heart and a new spirit. And our sins would be washed away, never to be remembered again. God says that I will forget your sins forevermore. So the scriptures have been talking about this throughout the ages. This was God's plan before the creation of the world. And God has now revealed to us something that has existed all along, but has now been made known to us in this day and in this time. And He reveals it to us individually. Praise God for that. This brings us to our next point. Praise God that He brought the gospel forth for the world, for the sake of the world. Still in verse 26 here, it says, According to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to faith. So according to the commandment of the everlasting God. I love this phrase, the everlasting God. Isaiah 40, verse 28, it says, Have you not known, have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the Creator at the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. He is the everlasting God. Psalm 90, verse 1 and 2 says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from ever to everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So here we have this, this designation of God as the everlasting God. And that from everlasting to everlasting, He is God. A.W. Tozer says this, From everlasting to everlasting, it literally means from the vanishing point to the vanishing point. 
As far as the eye can see from one direction to the next direction, he's beyond that. It says that the mind looked backwards in time till the dim past vanishes, then turns and looks into the future till thought and imagination collapses from exhaustion, and God is at both points, unaffected by either. God is outside of time, folks. He created time. He is not confined by time the way that we are. God is above it all, outside of it all. He was before it all, and He will be after it all. Amen? He is the everlasting God. He is the God who exists outside of time and space, and He has commanded forth the gospel. He has commanded the gospel to be revealed to us. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. Am I losing the, the speaker here? Can you all hear me? Okay, I'm seeing mixed, mixed uh, signals here. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, I love this. This is the same language that is used of God as the Creator. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God has commanded the light to shine, Amen. He commanded the light to shine in creation and He commanded the light of the gospel to shine in our hearts. That is the commandment of the everlasting God, the God who exists from the vanishing point to the vanishing point, the God who is outside of it all. And God has commanded the gospel to be revealed, we're told, for the obedience of the nations. Back in verse uh, partway through verse 26, He says that it would be made known to all nations. And the idea here is that so that all the nations could hear it and believe it. So that all nations could hear the gospel and obey the gospel. And that's God's heart for us, folks. That's God's heart for the world. God desires that we know the truth and that we believe the truth and that we obey the truth. 1 John 2.2 says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He Himself is the propitiation for our sins. That is the payment, the satisfaction of our, uh, the God's righteous requirement. But then this, and not for ours only, but for the whole world. For the whole world. 2 Peter 8, uh, chapter 3, verses 8-9 through 9 says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as is one day. We do, we do forget that, don't we? That's a challenge. I don't know about... God's timing is so very different from our own, you know? What seems like an eternity to us is like five minutes to God, five seconds. But he says this, The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God has made the gospel known to the world for obedience for the nations. That so all would, would hear and believe. And we know that, unfortunately, many will not. They refuse to believe. But it was God's desire that the gospel went out into all of the world, that all, all peoples, nations, tribes, and tongues, there would be some from all places, all generations, all ages, who would believe on the gospel and trust Christ and repent. 2 Timothy 2, 3-5 says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires 
men, all men, all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So God has stabilized us by the gospel. He has revealed to us the gospel. That is his desire that we would hear it, know it, believe it. And then our last point here, point point number four, praise God for his infinite wisdom that is displayed through the gospel. Praise God for his infinite wisdom that is displayed through the gospel. Verse 27. To God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. <clears throat> MacArthur says this, One, uh, one uh, may wonder why he does not say to the only powerful or only loving or only gracious God. Perhaps he calls attention here in order to emphasize that only an infinitely wise mind could have designed and accomplished such a plan of redemption. There are so many things that Paul could have said here. He could have said to the all-powerful God or the all-loving God, but he chose to say to the only wise God. J.I. Packer says, Wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. Wisdom is, in fact, the practical side of moral goodness. As such, it is found in its fullness only in God. He alone is naturally and entirely and invariably wise. And God's wisdom is put on display through the gospel, brothers and sisters. The wisdom of God is most fully revealed through the gospel. Where God did for sinful men and women what they could not do for themselves. That is the wisdom of God. I mean, you look at all the kinds of things that we come up with to try to to get right with God. To try to make it to the other side. To try to turn the scales, as it were. While so much of humanity is trying to reach heaven, so many religions are trying to reach heaven, Heaven came to us through the gospel. God reached us through the gospel. That is the wisdom of God. Where God became both the just and the justifier of sinners. That is the gospel. How is it, brothers and sisters, that God could remain totally just, who punishes every iniquity, every sin, every wrongdoing, yet at the same time is able to forgive and pardon Guilty sinners. How does that work? That is the wisdom of God in the gospel. Where every sin is punished. It is punished on God's one and only Son there on the cross. And thereby washed away forever. And God is able to freely extend forgiveness and grace without somehow impugning His own righteous character as a just judge. That is the wisdom of the gospel. That is the wisdom of God through the gospel, through His Son, Jesus Christ. And with that, I'm going to just close with Romans chapter 11, verse 33. It says this, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. The depth of the riches. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. Unsearchable. That's inscrutable. 
You'll never be able to get to the bottom of the ocean of God's riches. Verse 34, For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become His counselor? Who can tell God what to do? Who can really call God into question and say, this is how you should do it? Nobody. Though we try. Verse 35, Or who has given to Him and it shall be repaid to Him? To whom will God ever be indebted? Who can ever say to God, you owe me, God? Nobody. Verse 36, For of Him and through Him and to Him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Everything is from God. It's from Him. Everything is for God. Everything is through God. It's all about God. It's all for His glory. Amen? And glory to the only wise God through the gospel. And praise to His holy name. Let me pray for us. Father God, we love You. We thank You for Your glorious grace. We thank You for the journey through the book of Romans. Truly, Lord, it is a gospel masterpiece. I thank You for these closing verses that reset our heart on the glory of the gospel. That brings praise to you, God, as the one who is able to bring stability to us in such an unstable time through your gospel. We're reminded, God, that this has been your plan from eternity past. And that you know exactly what you're doing and how you're doing it and when you're doing it. It's all you, God. Praise you, God, that you've revealed these things to us. And you've revealed it to the world for the sake of the world. And glory to you, God, that your wisdom is put on full display through the gospel. Lord, may our lives be a living praise unto you. You've saved us, God. You've cleansed us. You've made us new. You've made us sons and daughters through the gospel. And may we live, God, to bring you praise. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.